0: Welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing churches holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God, as held by the historic Christian Church, have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Today's podcast is a message given by Dr. Larry Saunders at the ACCC's 2023 Annual Convention at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. Larry is the pastor of Toronto Free Presbyterian Church in Toronto, Ontario. This message closed the convention on Friday evening, October 26, and is titled, The Lord Glorious in Holiness. What a great joy it is to be with you tonight and to have the opportunity of just opening the Word of God and uh, sharing uh, His truth uh, with you. It has been some time since I've been able to be at an American Council meeting and I feel very bad about that. And it seems that the meetings held in the spring and the fall are really converging with our own presbytery meetings that happen in the spring and the fall. And actually this very week we are having a week of meetings in our Port Hope congregation and Reverend Reggie Cranston who is known to some of you folks Uh, He is retiring after 30 years of ministry in Port Hope. And uh, this coming Saturday night, we're having a a retirement dinner. So I'm planning to leave tomorrow morning, God willing, and I'll be back to at least be a part of that. But this gives you one indication, and I just say that to let you know that my heart is very much with you all. And I'm sorry, the uh, more opportunity cannot be held about being together. I certainly bring you greetings from Reverend David Mook. And you will know him well, if you've been in the ACC for any length of time. And our brother still lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, he said to me, he sent me an email. He says, I'm praying for you, brother, as you go to the council, the Lord will bless you and encourage your uh, heart as you minister to the people. And then I know you know Stephen Hamilton, Reverend Stephen Hamilton. He has been having a very difficult time since the loss of his dear wife, June. He ministers in our church in Walnutport in Pennsylvania. And he just came back from Northern Ireland on a bit of a break after the passing of his wife. And uh, he is actually in Port Hope this week. I never knew he was gonna be there, but he stopped back through and he was at the meetings also just to take in a bit of a time. But he wants you to know he's thinking about you folks too. And also, Dr. Frank McClelland, who is the senior pastor, was the founding pastor of our church in Toronto. And he has been associated with some of you folks going back many years and with the council. And uh, he suffered a stroke. I mentioned that in the breakout session this week. But he suffered a mini-stroke about a week ago. And he's had a few of those now. uh, But he is getting out of the hospital tomorrow, hopefully. He's had a little paralysis, a little slurring of the speech and the mobility issues, but he's hoping to get back on track again and uh, do the best he can. So he would want me to remember uh, you to, uh, him to you and uh, let you know that he's thinking about you very much. Thank you so much for your hosting of these meetings. And I, I pay tribute to the pastor and the congregation here, And the ladies that have served so well in all of the refreshments and the lunches and dinners, it's been a great blessing. And I'm also very impressed with your whole church, the way you've kept the grounds outside, everything is beautiful. It's a great testimony to the Lord, to the community, so I encourage you about that. When I was coming to Kittery, um, to my ignorance, I did not know anything about the outlet malls here. So, um, one of our deacons, I said to him, I said, I'm going to Kittery. He says, oh, Kittery, that's the, that's the capital of these outlet malls for the U.S. I said, really? I didn't know that. No, so I, I, I did came here. And then I said to my wife when I was on the phone, do you know where I am now? She says, how come I'm not there too? And I says, well, you snooze, you lose. That's the problem there. You missed out on that one. But she says, well, you're going to have to bring me back sometime on a bit of a holiday. So maybe that will be the case. And uh, But it's a beautiful area here. This morning, before the meeting started, I took a short drive out to Kittery Point and uh, saw some of the fishing vessels and uh, look out toward the inlet of the ocean. And you have a beautiful area here. And uh, driving up from the city, from Toronto, it was a beautiful drive through all the colours, the autumn colours, and it was uh, very much a joy. Of course, we've been burdened to hear about the tragedy that took place last night, yesterday. And uh, our brother Jonathan mentioned that this morning for prayer in the opening of our session. And the violence that increases all around us. Jeremiah said that he was wearied because of murderers. And as the devil is on a rampage, as his time comes closer to an end, you see the unleashing of this. And as our nations turn from God, it's no wonder that there is an open door for this kind of Violence that spills out into our streets and uh, we certainly are burdened for those innocent lies that have been taken and the families affected by this. And so our hearts and prayers are with uh, your country at this time too. So our brother Matt Ryder was saying today uh, in his devotion, I think it was today you spoke brother, wasn't it? Yes. He was mentioning about he's a young fellow. I don't know how young he is but he says he's a young fellow and when he's In front of such an audience, he feels, oh, it's hard to preach to all these. He didn't say old guys, but um, I think that's really what he was thinking, all these old guys here. And so I thought to myself, huh, okay, old guys. And I said, well, I'm not so sure it gets a whole lot easier to get up and preach to other old guys uh, in uh, in a church meeting like this. Because preaching doesn't seem, at least in my vantage point, it doesn't seem to get a whole lot easier the older you get, the more you go. It's still hard, still hard going. Reminds me of my grandfather told me a story about a guy who took up uh, skydiving and he jumped out of the airplane, but he was having trouble opening his parachute. Wouldn't work. So this got to be a bit serious. And then the next thing he saw, another guy coming up from the ground. And he stopped, and he said to the guy, but do you know anything about parachutes? And the guy coming up says, no. He says, I don't. Do you know anything about gas barbecues? You know? So unfortunately, both of them didn't end up too well in that situation. So preaching doesn't get easier. I think it gets a bit harder. And then to really encourage me, I'm going to get to the serious stuff in a minute. I Believe me. So just before the meeting starts tonight, I'm out in the parking lot. The phone rings. And he's one of my ministerial colleagues that is in the British Columbia, so the far west of Canada. And uh, he was asking me a question. And I told him, I said, well, I'm in Maine right now. He says, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, we got the American Council brochure there. He says, they must really be scraping the bottom of the bucket, he says, when they invite you to come out there and speak to those dear people. I said, well, that was a nice thing. I'll, get a, I'll take care of that guy later on. Uh, but these are all good. It's good to have good good rapport and to kind of break the tension that's often in the work of the Lord and to have a good communication one with another and to be able to enjoy each other's company and to fellowship in the things of the Lord. It's good to have a good sense of humor, at least to try to, and to bear the things in the work of God. There is much we know that is serious about the things of the Lord. And as we turn to the scriptures and the word of the Lord, well, those things are the very serious matters that we want to talk about tonight. The subject that is upon us is one that when our brother Dan contacted me and asked me if I would be able to speak and I looked at the subject matter and I thought, oh, really? That's, that's not easy. And uh, that's a very solemn subject matter in both cases speaking about conversion therapy which was not a nice area to have to delve into and all of that but then you go from the very lowest now to try and and take hold of the tremendous subject that we have so I want to thank our brother for and the council for organizing uh, this theme because it is so essential that those who bear the vessels of the Lord are to be clean Isaiah 52 and those who were the Old Testament priests were called to walk a different walk in one sense because it was a very public walk the high priest had on his hat holiness unto the Lord and that is what we as God's people and very directly God's servants we are called be holy men and holy women of God. Too many times, the church has suffered because of both compromise and moral failure, financial failure, and those things that the world just seems to love to grab hold of and say, yeah, I told you, that's all that these Christians really are. And how important it is for us to acknowledge if we are going to be testimonies for the Lord in a community, if we're going to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, then we must do so with clean hands and a pure heart. But that's not of us. We can't do it. It's only going to be by the Holy Spirit's power that we lay hold of, that we can depend on, that we can rest on, that we can lay hold of him and trust in him. And so... Well, folks, as we think about that tonight, let me invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15, we're looking at reading the first 11 verses. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, Is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of Thine excellency, Thou hast overthrown them that rose up against Thee. Thou sentest forth Thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of Thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together, the floods stood upright as in an heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my lust shall be satisfied upon them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them, and they sank as led in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? With our Bibles open, and we pray also our hearts open before the Lord now, we we'll just ask for his, his help in the ministry of the word. Our Father, what great thanksgiving we have, the joy of being in your holy presence and in this gathering tonight. We have the privilege of offering the praise and the worship of our hearts. We have, O oh God, the joy of Christ in our hearts. And for the fellowship we have enjoyed, we give thanks. And for the ministry of the Word, for the challenge to our hearts. Dear Father, we have feasted royally, and we are thankful for the mercies of God which are new every morning to us. We are a blessed people. O oh God, we pray tonight that we will be shut in And closed in with the Savior and the Spirit of God will come to do his perfect work in our hearts. Lord, we pray tonight that not only will we have an ear to hear, but a heart to understand. And that there would be the application of the truth by the Spirit to each one of us. Lord, I am in need tonight And I pray for the unction of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to be able to communicate faithfully the word and let no one misunderstand. From the very youngest in this church tonight, dear God, pour out your spirit upon us and fill our hearts with joy and expectation and true thanksgiving, O Lord. And I pray that we will be a holy people unto our god lord have mercy and forgive us for our failing our sin forgive us for our drifting and our coldness of heart and lord just draw us ever nearer to our blessed savior we pray bless every family represented here unsaved loved ones Unite the family circle in Christ. Bless this congregation. Bless the dear pastor and his family here in this place. And may the light reverberate from this area throughout the entire society. And may the people in this place know that there is a faithful ministry here and the word of God is being proclaimed without compromise. And so, Father... Hear our prayer tonight, and draw near to us, we pray, in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, if you have been looking at the program, you'll know that verse 11 of Exodus 15 is the text that we're going to be thinking about, and very specifically, that phrase that we are told, that the Lord is glorious in holiness. In one sense, we are standing at the base of a mountain. And the mountain that we are looking up to makes Everest look like a molehill. The subject before us is not just vast, it is without dimension. From my standpoint, it is one of those texts of scripture that I have read and admired, I've wondered at, and then I have quietly and maybe sheepishly passed by because of its content and because of its vast importance. And then we look at our own understanding and so often it is shallow. Our text that we have before us is a question. Who is like unto the Lord among the gods or among the mighty ones? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? It is what we call a rhetorical question. It is asked to lead us to an obvious answer there is no God like unto the Lord. There is no one like unto him. There is no one that is glorious in holiness, in an att- attribute that we have presented before us. It is Jehovah alone who is clothed with such honor, and it is by his grace that he has informed us through the inspired scripture about who he is, his being and his purpose in bringing many sinners to himself by the miracle of regeneration. If God had not opened the scriptures and given us his word, we would not have known him. Yes, this is our God. God. And tonight we can rejoice that he is our Savior. And therefore, let our mouths be filled with his praise. For he is the one who has loved us with an everlasting love. And he gave himself for us that we might be saved from hell. If you're in Christ tonight, you will never be in a lost eternity. You will never be in hell You only have glory in heaven to look forward to. And this is our God. And we are his people. And we will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now we know from the context of Exodus 15 that Pharaoh was, well, he finally relented. After the ten plagues, humiliating and devastating as they were to Egypt, But it was not long after that their hard heart became even harder and they pursued after Israel and they determined to have their revenge. Now Moses cites in verse 9, he said, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy or possess them. This was the bold and brash confidence of the hard-hearted Pharaoh and the Egyptians. By the time this song was sung, it is very possible that the evidences of the death of Pharaoh's army were washing ashore where the Israelites were. We're told that in the judgment of God that was upon that people that the Lord triumphed gloriously, verse one, and that he was glorious in power, having dashed in pieces the enemy And then we come to the very summit of this mountain, that he is glorious in holiness. Don't ever miss the context whereby we are given these tremendous examples of the glory of God. You know, the ungodly man cannot accept this, because to them God is not great. If they even acknowledge any idea of an intellectual being that exists, To the ungodly man, this supreme being is capricious. He is unkind, he is merciless. He is an egocentric being that selfishly demands total submission and worship. Yes, this is how the ungodly, the atheistic mind has described God. And so they despise the one who gives them the heartbeat, the very next one, despising the one that holds their breath the very creator and they turn away from him but now you and I tonight we have a different perspective because we have been washed because we are clean now we have been saved and we are on the road to glory and so our eternal destination it is secure and our eyes have been opened, and we know the one who has loved us and has given himself for us, and now we belong to him. And tonight, believer, you are possessed by your God and Savior, and you love him because he has first loved you. We pray that we will know the Lord more in the growth of our Christian life, We are each day endeavoring to say, I want to know the Lord more. And what did Paul say in Philippians 3? Oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And where is a good starting point for that knowledge? Well, we could do no better than the text that is before us in Exodus as we contemplate and think more deeply on the meaning and the value and the currency of being glorious in holiness as it relates to our God. So I want us tonight please to think that our minds and hearts would be open, that the Holy Spirit would give us a deeper understanding, that we would be able to some way plumb the depths of this and that the, the devil would be defeated in every attempt that he has to Give us small views of God, small views of Christ, but rather let us have large views of our God and lift up our hearts tonight in thanksgiving to him. The first thought I leave with you is this. The essential nature of God's holiness, the essential nature of God's holiness According to the theologian William Shedd, he said the holiness of God is the perfect rectitude of his will. The divine will is in absolute harmony with the divine nature. The holiness of God is the perfect rectitude of his will. There is no shadow of turning in the righteous and holy standard and nature of our God. But in trying to understand and comprehend something of the depth of this, we have to also understand that the Lord is not holy because he has earned that holiness. He does not live up to a standard that has been imposed upon him. He is accountable to no one outside of himself. There is no force and no being that he must declare himself to. He is not holy by some examination. And in this we say that our God... He is intrinsically holy. It means that holiness is inseparable from who and what God is. In other words, his holy nature is the qualifying attribute that undergirds the entire being of God and therefore it determines his holy actions. So it cannot be otherwise, and the more that we dwell upon the greatness of our Lord and the holiness of God, we must begin to, to dissect this so we can comprehend its meaning. The holy nature of God is the qualifying attribute that undergirds and supports every other aspect. Of the being of God. The adjectives we have in our text is glorious and it's used to describe this attribute of His holiness. The word glorious means magnified or honorable, unmatched, indescribable, exalted, higher than the highest expression So of all that glorious can be understood to mean, the holiness of God is the full expression of that. This was on the heart of Moses. This is what the Spirit of God gave him to speak about and to sing and to give praise back to the Lord. Psalm 92 and verse 14 says, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. The word holy, referring to the God of Israel, is used more times in the Old Testament than the word mighty and wise and great. So the reference that God is holy is repeated more times than many other adjectives. Why is that? It's because the Lord wants to get a message across to us. When Sennacherib came against Judah, Hezekiah prayed against the enemy, and the Lord gave a message through the prophet Isaiah, a message for Sennacherib. And this is it. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed, and against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high even against the holy one of Israel In Psalm 71:22 David praises the Lord and he says O my God unto thee will I sing with the harp O thou holy one of Israel Psalm 99, which I highly recommend to you to read and meditate and memorize. You know, oftentimes, it's hard to get started in our praying. I don't know if you find that. I'm sure you do. And I remember Dr. Alan Karen saying to us once, he said, it is very good to use the book of Psalms as a primer for your praying in the quiet place. Because as you come to the Psalms of David you are entering into his private chamber of prayer where the curtain has drawn back and we're able to listen to and pray unto the Lord again his word. And it lifts your heart to exalt him. It lifts our heart to worship the Lord. It draws us into the attitude and spirit and of prayer and into his presence. And Psalm 99 is a very precious one because it specifically exalts the name of the Lord and the holiness of God. In Psalm 99 verse 9, it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for the Lord our God is holy. Stephen Sharnock was a 17th century English Puritan theologian. And he wrote this, he said, it is as he, that is God, he is as necessarily holy as he is necessarily God. As necessarily without sin, as without change. As he was God from eternity, So he was holy from eternity. We are told that the name of the Lord is holy throughout the scripture. And in Psalm 103, which is such a precious psalm, in verse 1, David prayed, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Those three verses taken from Psalm 99, they're precious. Our Lord, when we think about his intrinsic holiness, he is perfect in this attribute. Isaiah describes this in the vision that he saw when he fell upon his face and he confessed he was a man of unclean lips and he heard the angel cry, holy, holy, holy. The Lord of hosts is holy. And if there is a reference in that word from Isaiah to the Trinity, Well, we will take that, but if not, it's giving us the triune holiness of our God, and it's good to be on our lips, and it's good to allow that to distill into our hearts, and to pray, Lord, we are called to be a holy people, and the more that our eyes by faith are upon our God, and upon our Savior, and we are being made like him. We are being conformed into his image of holiness. And that's what we're called to be. And brothers and sisters, this is not something that we put on like clothing. This is not an attachment to your faith. This estimates who we are. And as we are mirroring our precious Lord Jesus, we are going to reflect his glorious holiness. The Lord is perfect in holiness, and he is also complete in that holiness. The Lord is holy in and of himself. He He cannot become more holy, and he cannot lose any of his virtue. So we think About his intrinsic holiness but what about him being independently holy and I mean by that that there is no outside being or power that provides or infuses holiness into God the essence of divinity is without beginning and ending and he is not dependent on anything or anyone And our God is immutably holy. There's no change in him. He made that great declaration in the book of Malachi. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And we better say praise God to that one. Because the very fact that God's attributes and God's decree and God's holy nature is unchangeable. Because if there was any alteration or change in him, where would our redemption lie? Where would our eternal hope lie? No, we cannot ever go down that road. He is immutably holy. Some years ago, Dr. McClellan told me he was outside his house in his driveway. He was washing his car, and he hadn't shaved that morning, so he's looking a bit like a rubby. And uh, he was in his old clothes, and along comes two JWs walking down the street. And they stop to talk to this sinner. They're going to see if they can convert him to their way. And so he has a question that he always likes to ask them You're witnesses of Jehovah, he said. "Um, Could you tell me what Jehovah means? And usually that stumps most of them right there because they haven't thought about that, so they fumble around. But one time, one person came along and says, oh, yes, yes, Jehovah means he is becoming what he will become. And so Dr. McClellan stopped for a minute and he said, okay, so if God is becoming something, then he is not yet complete. Is that what you're telling me? And if he is not complete, then is he God? And so the person kind of muttered and said, huh, you said you said you were just an ordinary man. He said, I never said anything about it. You never asked me anything about that. <laughs> I don't think he ever told him he was a minister, but nonetheless, that, uh, that stumped them. The Lord does not change. He cannot be improved upon, nor can he lose any of the perfection that he has. There is none like unto our Lord. God is unique in every aspect. The commentator Adam Clark, he said about God's holiness, he is infinitely resplendent in this attribute, essential to the perfection of divine nature. And so as we think about this tonight, and as we consider the essential nature of God's holiness, Can it be summed up in any better way than what we have in our text? He is glorious in holiness. I want you to notice secondly tonight, the demonstration of the Lord's holiness at the cross. The demonstration of the Lord's holiness at the cross. There is is no greater example In divine or human history that expresses the unbending holiness of God than at Calvary because there we find that holiness and justice and love they all converge and they converge in the spectacle of the crucifixion and they converge upon the only begotten Son of God. And God's justice demanded satisfaction. Why? Because His holy nature would not allow any deviation from His being. It could not be overridden. There was no way to circumvent His holiness. It's important for us to understand this doctrine because sin could not simply be excused. It was not something that could be forgotten or swept under the carpet or just dismissed. The retributive justice of God is pulsating from His holiness. And it meant that sin had to be punished. And it would either be punished in the sinner or in a substitute. God cannot excuse sin because his nature is holy. And as as we think tonight about the glory of the holiness of our God, you will not find it any other place expressed than at the cross. Because it was there that our holy God expressed that attribute upon his only begotten Son. Again, Dr. Shedd in his Dogmatic Theology wrote this, God cannot lay down a law, affix a penalty, and threaten its infliction And proceed no further in the case of disobedience. Divine veracity forbids this. He has solemnly declared that he will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 7. And it was there that Christ willingly submitted himself to become our kinsman redeemer and to step up and pay the full price to redeem our souls. It was at the cross where righteousness and peace kissed each other and the full atonement for my sin was made and the price, it was the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice of a sacrifice that was holy, that was offered, and we today have peace with God. Sharnak wrote, not all the vials of judgment that have or shall be poured out upon the wicked world, nor the flaming furnace of a sinner's conscience, nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against the rebellious demons, nor the groans of the damned creatures, give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin as the wrath of God let loose upon his Son. Never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time of our Savior's Countenance was most marred in the midst of his dying groans when God turned his smiling face from him and thrust his sharp knife into his heart, which forced that terrible cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know the story of Abraham and Isaac. You know that Abraham was willing with the knife raised to take his son's life because he believed that the God of the promise would raise his son to life again. God stayed the hand of Abraham. But who would stay the hand of God? Upon his only begotten son. No, that knife fell. That execution took place. And the Lord showed the glory of his holiness at the cross in a way that surpasses our understanding, our comprehension. We say, how could that be, Lord? How could you have done that for me? It goes beyond us. The unsaved man, he looks at the cross, and what does he estimate? He estimates foolishness. The unsaved man says, well... was rather a simplistic remedy to the problems of society. How could one man die and take the sins of the world upon him? But the very place where the world heaps the greatest scorn is the place that God has manifested his wisdom and love and justice, and it's all surrounded by his glorious holiness. In the third place tonight, can we see this depicted in our lives? Can we see it depicted in our lives? The song of Exodus 15 uses glorious four times. One of them is repeated in verse 1 and verse 21, expressing that God triumphed gloriously. And in verse 6, we have the phrase glorious in power, and in our text, of course, glorious in holiness. Now, the context is the destruction of those whose intention was to destroy God's people. Egypt had already suffered from the plagues, we commented on that earlier, and their refusal to let Israel go. They intended to wreak Revenge upon the people Verse 9 is is a haunting expression of how the world and man shakes his fist in the face of God as Pharaoh did I will not have this God to rule over me (laughs) And that's exactly what the world says. I will do this. I will conquer. I will determine. I will be the master of my own destiny and all in the rejection of God and was at this very point that God's power and holiness and triumph are described as being glorious. That's not a welcome subject matter in many churches today. In fact, to proclaim and preach such a thing, it would be describing God as harsh, as unloving and unkind. But when we come to the word and we humble ourselves before it, and we have to turn our own thinking to the Word of God. And we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I, I need to learn more. I need to be enlightened. I need the Holy Spirit to direct me. It was at this very point where God is called glorious when he took up the protection of his own people, When he took up the redemption of his own people. Because that's what this is about. The account of Israel being brought out of Egypt. God was redeeming his people. That's the picture. Out of the world. Now beginning the travel and the journey of conformity to his will. Let us take courage tonight. Let's take courage in this truth that God will never be so glorious in the eyes of his people and so feared for the manifestation of his power when he defends us and he defends us when the devil is roaring and when the demons are raging and when every unkind voice is trying to destroy the seed royal if god be for us who can be against us because our lord is glorious In his holy attitude and behavior. Let us trust in him tonight. Let us trust and not be afraid. Let us go forward on the authority of Christ to preach his word and to speak of the unsearchable riches of our master. Satan is defeated. Sometimes we Christians live as if Satan's on the victory side. Satan is defeated and we are to live in the victory of Calvary in the victory of the glorious resurrection, in the victory of the coming Son of God again. We are more than conquerors, Paul said in Romans 8. For he loved us and he gave himself for us and therefore fear not thou worm, Jacob, as Isaiah was reminded. Just as God showed himself gloriously victorious in holiness for his people, so he shows himself powerful in the protection of his people. And that's a great encouragement for us. And does not it not draw out our hearts to worship him? The more we dwell on these great truths, we say, yes, Lord, why was I so fearful? Why was I full of worry? Why was I so troubled by these things? I need to have my eyesight fastened and fixed upon him. Peter reminds us, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He's talking about people who are living in the world and how our attitude is to be at that time. And therefore, this must be reflected. And here's where the rubber meets the road and the application for the message to our Christian life. This has got to affect our conduct. It's got to affect the way we live. And so I ask us tonight how holy is God to us? How do we esteem that attribute that we're thinking about? Do we live in the light of the command be holy? as I am holy. We are to reflect this in our conduct and in our worship and in our praying. Worship is a large subject matter. We endeavor to offer to the Lord the sacrifice of praise from our hearts. And I think that as we look at or examine a large degree of the contemporary scene of worship today, it puts forward an expression of holiness, but I think there are factors that militate against that by the very conduct, by the open expression, by the inclusion of the world's standards and vehicle in that. We are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And how we do that, well, it's going to be open to a wide range of disagreement or of discussion, depending on what culture you're living in, what country of the world you're living in. But what is important for us is always to bring this matter back to the foundation of God and the attributes that we see about him. And to pray that our worship and the use of our hymns and our singing and our instruments and however we come to the table on this subject we must always let it be filtered through the scriptures the Word of God and there must be a heart to honor the holiness of God to worship Him in the beauty of holiness and as we come to pray The greater estimation we have of our Lord in our quiet and private times of prayer will be certainly reflected in our public praying. And it's so vital that we we seek the Lord in prayer. A church cannot go forward on organization. A church can't go forward on programs. I'm sure you've had some people say to you, they come to your small ministry and they say, there's not much going on here. Where's the program for the kids? Where's the program for the adults and the widows and the young, this? And they say, I'm out of here. Because their estimation of what Christian life is like, it's got to be surrounded by activity and activity and activity but maybe there is something missing in there. And I'm not saying that those aspects of ministering to people in your church is not important, of course it is. But Duncan Campbell, who was greatly used of God in the 1949 revival in the Isle of Lewis off the coast of Scotland, he commented, he said, what we do not need is more program for the church, but we need the presence of God in the church. And if you have not studied or listened to the account of that revival, I encourage you to get that tape. There's a video production of it called Wind of the Spirit, and it is very, very insightful and encouraging How will all this be attained as we think about being a witness for the Lord in a a holy life? How will it be attained in our lives? Well, will it be attained by looking at the five steps to a better you? I don't think so. You're not going to find it there. Or by determining in your own purpose. I'm just going to do better. Tomorrow I'm just going to do better. How many times has that worked out for you? It hasn't because we fail. It has got to be understood by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, of the witness of Christ who is in us. And by faith we more and more see him through the word. The Holy Spirit takes and shows us Christ through the scriptures. So we take on his image and we bear him and we're being changed and believer it will be by us reckoning by knowing our place in christ we have been justified freely by his grace our standing today as we are before god he sees us as he looks upon his son and as god the father looks upon me he sees me through The work and the merit and the value and the accomplishment of Christ. And therefore he sees me as a finished product. As a matter of fact Romans 8 you will know speaks that we are already glorified in heaven. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so that work in the mind of God is already done. But we are in the stepping through the process stage. We want to have more of the image of Christ upon us. And we want to see him reflected in our lives so that when the world looks upon our life, they don't see just a person. They don't see a hypocrite. They don't see a compromiser. They don't see someone who says one thing for Sunday, but Monday to Friday and Saturday, they're living a different life. That's no good. We must be consistent people. Arthur Pink wrote this, He said, then as God alone is the source and fount of holiness, let us earnestly seek holiness from him. Let our daily prayer be that he may sanctify us wholly and our whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I close with this. Jude in his epistle His closing words, they will help us. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Believer, you can't keep yourself from falling. Neither can I. But that's what the Lord has promised he will do. He keeps us from falling. And to present you faultless, possessing God's holy nature, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. May the Lord encourage your hearts tonight and let our thoughts be drawn toward him as we a holy people because our God is holy and we want to follow and worship him and be a testimony and a light in a very dark time. Yes, the day is getting far spent. And yet each day we live, we're a day's march nearer home. And we are called to lift up our eyes for our redemption draws nigh. And that's a great encouragement for us to think about.